Good evening to each one of you this evening. I guess I'll begin by just extending my gratitude to you young people for coming out and being attentive and being an encouragement to me with, by your words and by your attention. Thank you for your prayers. And I would just encourage you to go from this place with a greater desire, a greater fervency to be who God has designed you to be. God has a purpose for each of your lives. He has a plan for each of you. And yes, just like Adrian was saying, be that kind of friend to each other that helps to shape and mold those around you to be who God wants them to be. You have a tremendous impact on each other. Peer pressure is a wonderful thing, right? It can be. It's not always, unfortunately, but it can be. It can be a wonderful thing. And I love to see a group of friends that the cool thing is to serve the Lord. Now, I don't like to say it's a cool thing to serve the Lord. That sounds a little irreverent. And yet there's sometimes you see a group of people that if you're in that group, you know that you are going to be the black sheep if you go out and do something that is contrary to the word of God. And that's a blessing. So be that kind of friend. And I really appreciate that second song Brother Ivan led. That's the message that I want to bring to you tonight. You could just take that song and go over that. That's, that's the message tonight. So this afternoon, for those of you who were here, we left Peter at kind of a bad spot. He had just denied his Lord three times, and that's where we stopped. But here's what it says next. This is Matthew 26, verse 75. After Peter had denied his Lord three times, it says, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. So here we have an example of a disciple of Jesus who denied his Lord. He forsook Jesus at, at, at Jesus' greatest time of need. He forsook him. And through the preaching of a rooster, God brought conviction to Peter's heart. And Peter wept bitterly. Now if you go on into the very next chapter, very next couple verses, you find another disciple of Jesus who also denied his Lord. And that is Judas. Here's what it says. This is Matthew 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he, Jesus, was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Two disciples of Jesus who failed their Lord. And two different responses to their failures. And what happened to Judas? He took his life. And we read in Acts, in Acts 1 verse 18, it says this of Judas, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. That's the end of Judas. Not a very pretty picture. But what about Peter? Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
And when the women came to anoint Jesus' body in the tomb, and they saw the angels, it was an empty tomb, and there was an angel there, and the angel said to these women, they, they said this, Go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. So the angel specifically referenced Peter. Go tell Peter that Jesus is risen. And you can just imagine how Peter must have felt at this time. He had failed his Lord. And yet the angel said, go tell Peter that he's risen. And then if you read on, as Jesus showed himself to the disciples and, and somewhere along the line, Jesus pulled Peter aside and said, do you love me? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, several different ways. And then Jesus gave Peter a job to do. This weekend we're talking about confessions of a believer. And here we have the example of two of Jesus' disciples who instead of confessing, they denied their Lord. And I think most of us here, if we were honest, we would have to admit that there have been times where we also have denied our Lord. But what I, well, this is not okay, okay? It's a sin. But what I want you to know is that if you truly repent, as Peter did, Jesus will forgive you as well. And just like Jesus used Peter in a mighty way, he can use you in a mighty way as well. Peter wasn't perfect, but Peter repented and Peter was accepted. In the first two messages, I quoted Matthew 10, verse 32, and I'm going to read that again this evening. It says this, this is Jesus talking, Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, I'm just going to stop there, that's what we've been talking about this weekend. Whosoever shall confess me before men. And this confession is not some casual, half-hearted, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe there's a God. No, that's not the confession we're talking about. It is a deep-seated conviction of the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus that compels you to say from the very depths of your being, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that confession changes everything about you. That's the confession that is being made here when Jesus said, Whosoever shall confess me before men. Then he goes on and says, Him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And that's the confession that I want to focus on this evening. It's the confession that Jesus makes of you before the Father. And what I want you to see this evening is that confession that Jesus makes of you is just as strong and just as committed as the confession that I have been asking you to make of Jesus. Now it's Jesus making that confession of you. And so picture yourself standing before the throne of God this evening. And you stand there and you realize how unworthy you are to be in the presence of God. And you just fall on your face and say, God have mercy on me. You, you know your failures. You know your shortcomings. And you say, God have mercy on me. And there's Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And He reaches out His nail-scarred hand. And he says, come, my child. And he brings you to the Father. And he says, Father, this is my child. 
This is my son. This is my daughter. I shed my blood for them. I gave my life for them. I love them. They're mine. The message this evening is a beautiful message. And you may think that's an arrogant thing for a preacher to say. But I don't say it's a beautiful message because it's my message. I say it's a beautiful message because it's God's message to you. It's Jesus confessing your name before the Father which is in heaven. The title is, I am accepted. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This evening I'm just going to simply work through the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to see in these verses how God feels about you as his child. And my desire for this message... For those of you here who who are born again, who are walking in the light, my desire for this message is that you would see more clearly how God feels about you. And my desire also for this message is that if there is anyone here who is not a child of God, or who maybe has professed to know God, Maybe at one time walked with God, but now you're living in sin. You've walked away from God. My desire is that this message would be an invitation to you to come home to the arms, the open arms of a loving Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity once again to look into your word, and this time to see how you feel about us. God, thank you for this message tonight. Thank you that we can be your sons and daughters, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us and purchased us and made us yours. And so, God, I pray this evening that the message would be clear, that those here who are walking in truth, who are walking in the light, who are following you, would have the reassurance that they are yours and you love them. And if there's anyone here, Father, who is not at that place, who is not walking in the light, who is walking in darkness, who has rejected you, God. I pray that you will speak to their hearts. Help them to see that you are a loving Father and your arms are open, inviting them to come home. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how does God feel about you? Ephesians 1. I'm going to go through some of these verses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Some of them I'm going to park on for a little bit and... and Spend a little time on Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so who are these verses written to? It says it's written to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because if you are a rebel this evening, if you have turned away from God, if you have rejected God, if you're walking in darkness, then what I have to share this evening does not apply to you. What Paul wrote in these verses is not written to you this evening. It's an invitation to you. You can be, you can accept these verses, but where you're at now, they're not written to you. But if you are a saint, if you are a child of God, if you are walking faithfully in Christ Jesus, and I trust that many of you, most of you, are this evening, then this message is for you. 
So what's the message? Verse 2, grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a, a greeting that Paul uses at the beginning of nearly every one of his epistles. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read over it and we don't give it much thought, but I'm just going to park on it a little bit this evening. And I want to zero in on two things in that verse. The word grace and the phrase God our Father. I'm going to start with God our Father. This is a statement that in our minds we, we know it's true, we make it often, but do we understand it? Do we comprehend that reality that God is our Father? God is your Father. Do you understand that? And that means that you are a child of God. You get that. God is your Father. Now, your perception of what God your Father is like is probably influenced greatly by how your earthly father is. I have had the privilege of having an earthly father who has exemplified God in a positive way. Not perfect. None of our fathers are perfect. But he's exemplified God in a good way. He's been a good representation of God. And I think probably many of you could say that. That your father, although they're not perfect, has been a good representation of God. But I'm sure there are some of you here who would not say that. Some of you here that your perception of God that you receive from your father is very skewed of what a father is and should be. And so I want to go to scripture and instill in your minds, first of all, that God is your father and then just briefly, what God your Father is like. So I'm just going to go through a number of verses very quickly. You don't have to turn to these if you pay attention. So the first one is in Isaiah 64. It says this, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou our potter, and we all are the work of Thy hands. Thou, O Lord, art our Father. God tells us through Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says this, and this is the passage where it talks about be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And all those comparisons, trying to instill in our minds that the two don't mix. You can't walk with the world and walk with God. And in saying, come out from among them and be separate. And here's what it says. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I'll be your father. You'll be my son. You'll be my daughter, saith Jehovah God, the Lord Almighty. Now there's many parallels in Scripture between an earthly father and a heavenly father. I want to take you to some of those. One is in Psalm 103, verse 13, and it says, Like as a father, speaking of an earthly father, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord, our heavenly father, pitieth them that love him. Another parallel in Proverbs 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Speaking of God, our heavenly father, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father an earthly father, the son in whom he delighteth. Another comparison, Luke 11. If a son 
shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask them? And so we find in these comparisons that just like a good earthly father is compassionate, he provides for the needs of his family, he, he disciplines his children because he loves them, just like an earthly father who loves his children does that, so God, our heavenly father, does that for us, only more so. He's a provider. He's compassionate. He cares about us. He disciplines us to make us who he wants us to be. But the one big difference between our Heavenly Father and our earthly Father is that our Heavenly Father will never fail us. He is a perfect Father. Psalm 27.10 When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isaiah 63.16 Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not, Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting to everlasting. And then one more, James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so our Heavenly Father is a perfect Father. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't spank us when it was actually our brother that stole the cookie, not you, or anything like that. He's a perfect father. He cares about you. And he loves you. As Jesus went about his ministry, God was his father in a very real way. And yet, even Jesus, the very son of God, talked about God as not just his father, but as our father. He taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. And sometimes he even mentioned, referenced him as your Father. Speaking of his Father, he said, your Father. And then, near the very end of Scripture in Revelation, we have this beautiful promise to him that overcometh. It says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now that was a lot of references a lot of verses, but what I want you to see is that God is your Father, and He is a perfect Father, and He's a loving Father, and He cares about you as His sons and daughters. Now, the other thing I want to focus on in verse 2 is the word grace. Grace be to you. Grace is a word that is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a very similar word if you look in the Hebrew or in the Greek. And I don't know how you would define this word. I'm going to give it a fairly simple definition. Maybe you think I'm undermining the, the, what this word really means. But the definition that I'm going to give you this evening of grace is simply this. God's favor turning my way in Jesus Christ. God's favor turning my way in Jesus Christ. It's my understanding that in Bible times, grace was not just used as a, 
as a spiritual word. It was an everyday term that simply meant favor. And so you could use this word not speaking of what God has done for you, but just someone found favor in your eyes. You were pleased with them, and you use this word grace. So the first usage of this word in the Bible is in Genesis 6, verse 8, where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God looked down from heaven. He saw the wickedness of men and the evil in their heart, and he saw Noah, a righteous man. And he found, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor with God. And because he found favor with God, God provided a way of escape for Noah. Noah, God offered salvation to Noah because Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Another instance of this word being used in everyday language is in the book of Ruth, where you know the account, Ruth had came uh, back. She was with her mother-in-law. She was gleaning in the field of Boaz. Boaz noticed her and started making provision for her. He, he told his people, you know, keep some wheat where she can get it. Don't harm her. Watch out for her. Protect her. And Ruth then talked to Boaz, and it says this, that Ruth fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Why have I found grace? Why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm just, I don't, I'm not worthy of what you're doing for me. And then a little later she said this, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. And that's the same word, that's grace. Let me find favor in thy sight. And then a New Testament usage is in Luke chapter 1, when the angel came to Mary to announce the birth, or the uh, foretold the birth of Jesus, this angel came to Mary and said this, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And that's grace. Thou hast found favor with God. And we could spend all day looking at examples and exploring exactly what it means, but the point that I want you to get this evening is that when God extends grace to you, He extends His favor to you. He looks at you with favor. He says, that's my child. He's mine. And I love him. And this verse tells us that God our Father is a Father of grace. He is a Father of grace. Because of the great love that God your Father has for you, He has offered you the plan of redemption through the blood of His only Son, Jesus Christ. And so I can say to all of you here who have truly accepted that plan of salvation, that you are a child of God, and God looks at you with favor. He extends His grace to you. Some time ago, I was out working one day, and some of you know the way that my dad's farm is laid out. I was over on my dad's farm. I was on the four-wheeler. I was driving up towards the road, and across the road was Dave Miller's house. If you can picture where we're at, some of you, some of you, are totally lost, but anyway, that's okay. And out in Dave's yard, I saw this little boy come running through the yard. There's a tree swing down towards the road, and he's running down towards the tree swing. Now, that's not that uncommon. There's often children running around in Dave's yard, and so that wasn't that uncommon. But suddenly I realized that this wasn't just any little boy. This was my boy. This was my boy that was running through the yard. 
Now, some of you know my boy. My boy is not perfect. My boy has a lot of energy. He's still trying to learn how to use that energy in a productive way. He's still learning how to obey. But when I saw that little boy running through the yard, there wasn't one bit of a thought in my mind that said, what a naughty boy. There was love in my heart for that little boy. I said, that's my boy. That's my boy. And my heart just welled up with love for my boy. My love for that little boy is great. Not because he's perfect. Because he isn't. And not because he's earned it. Because he hasn't. But I love him because he's mine. And do you understand that that's how God your father feels about you? God doesn't love you because you're perfect. Because you're not. And he doesn't love you because you deserve it. Because you don't. And He doesn't love you because you've earned His love. Because you haven't. He loves you because you're His. And He has bought you with the blood of Jesus. You are a purchased possession. Now, let's continue on in Ephesians 1. I'm not going to spend that long in the rest of the verses. But notice as we read these verses how God feels about you as His child. And let me just say it now in case I miss it later. Jesus Christ is mentioned in these verses over and over again. And that's why God looks at you with favor. That's why. It's because of Jesus. Because He shed His blood. Because He offered you redemption. That's why God looks at you with favor. Alright, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then Paul goes on to name some of these spiritual blessings that God has offered to us as His children. Verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Does that sound like love to you? Before you were even conceived, God foreordained that there would be a plan in place for your redemption. God knew that you would need it. God knew that Adam would sin. God knew that you would inherit a sin nature. God knew that because of that, you would sin. And He had a plan in place for your redemption. That's love. And what was the purpose of that plan? Was it that you would be happy? Or that you would be wealthy? Or that you would have fun? No, that's not the plan. It was something far more precious than that. It was that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, going back to last evening, you remember what we talked about last evening? That we were over here, dead in our sins, without hope, without God, and, and, and God was here. No way to bridge that gap. And now it's talking about us being holy and without blame before Him in love. How did that happen? Because God made a way. He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. 
That's justification. God doesn't look at you as a sinner. God looks at you as a saint because of the blood of Jesus. You have been washed in the blood, and God doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint because of the work of Christ on your behalf. Verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. God, again, we talked about this in the, the, the last verse, but God preordained, here it uses the word predestinated. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He predetermined that there would be a plan in place for your redemption. A way that through Christ that we could be a part of the family of God. That's beautiful. We didn't belong into his family. We didn't deserve to be a part of his family. But he wanted us to be a part of his family. And so he made a way that we could be a part of the family of God. And God didn't adopt us into his family because he was under any obligation to. It says he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. It's what he wanted to do. He wanted you to be his child. He wanted you to be a part of his family. And it says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. There's that word grace again. God extended his favor to you through Christ and made us his sons and his daughters. And then it says, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And that's where the title comes from. I am accepted. He has made us Accepted in the beloved. Do you get that? You're not the black sheep of the family. You're not the unwanted child. You are accepted into the family of God. That's precious. Now this Greek word that's translated accepted is only used one other place in the New Testament. And that is in Luke chapter 1. When the angel came to Mary. And the angel spoke to Mary and said this. Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And that little phrase, thou art highly favored. That's the word that Paul uses in Ephesians when he says that we're accepted in the beloved. The angel came to Mary and said, that you're highly favored. Only in Ephesians, it's not addressing Mary. It's addressing us. And so many people today admire Mary. They look up to Mary. Some people worship Mary because of her, because of the way God viewed her, the way God used her. She was this tremendous woman that God looked at and said, this is a person that I can use to carry my son. And he said, you're highly favored. But do you understand, young people tonight, that that's how God views you? No different than he viewed Mary. God doesn't have Mary up here and you down here. You're on the same plane as Mary in the eyes of God. And maybe you're thinking, now nah, that's a little stretch. Okay, let's go to another passage. This is Luke 11. 
as Jesus was going about his ministry, he was doing miracles, he was teaching, he was preaching. And in the midst of all this, someone, some lady saw what he was doing and was impressed. And I guess wanted to offer him a compliment. And she did it in a very unorthodox way. She said this, this is Luke 11, verse 27, I believe. She said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. And so basically she was saying, as she saw Jesus, she was saying, wow, you must have had a tremendous mother. Blessed be your mother. But notice what Jesus said. But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So in other words, you can praise Mary all day long for what she's done and for who she was. But Christian tonight, if you are living in obedience to the word of God, God views you no different than he viewed Mary. You are highly favored in his eyes. Blessed rather are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And just as God allowed Mary or allowed his son to take up residence in Mary's womb, so today God allows us to be the dwelling place of his spirit. Isn't that precious? All right, verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, the word redemption in the Greek means ransom in full. Ransom in full. See, you were in bondage. You were a captive. There was a price that had to be paid for your redemption. And Jesus paid that price with his blood. There was a ransom that was paid. With the blood of Jesus. First Peter says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He offered you redemption because he loves you. Verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now this word abounded here, we're going to go to the Greek again. There's two different Greek words that are translated as abound. It's a, uh, an example of a verse that uses both of these words is Romans 5 verse 20 that says this, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that's two different Greek words. The first word where sin is abounding, that means increase. Okay, So where sin increased, grace did much more abound and that word abound means superabound. And so where grace was increasing, I mean where sin was increasing, grace was superabounding. So here it says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now what do you think, which one do you think it is? Increase or superabound? What? Superabound. Of course, it's superabound. He hath superabounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. All right, verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Your father is eagerly anticipating the day when you can be in his presence. He is longing for that day when you can be in his presence as his child. And then it says, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also ye trusted, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that seal, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that denotes ownership. There is a stamp on you, and it's the Spirit of God within you. And that Spirit of God in you signifies that you are His. The seal of the Spirit. You are His. And then verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Those are beautiful verses, dear people. That's how God feels about you. This gives us a little glimpse into the heart of God, how your Father feels about you. And I don't know about you, but I think it's just pretty special kind of overwhelming to think that the God of the universe is just thrilled to have me as his child. Isn't that special? First John said, the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, young people, I know that we can be hard on y'all sometimes. But I know that there are many of you whose deepest desire is to follow God, is to walk with God. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've repented of your sins. You're walking in the light. And the purpose of this message this evening for you is to assure you that in spite of the struggles you may be going through, in spite of the, the, the failings in your life, and sometimes you've just feel like a failure, that in spite of that, in spite of your imperfections, if your sins are under the blood of Jesus and you are walking in the light, you are a child of God and He loves you with all His heart. God looks at you and He smiles. He looks at you and says, that's my child. And he has offered salvation to you, not because of what you've done, but because he loves you. Zephaniah 3.17 is a beautiful verse. It says, The Lord thy God, in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. 
And the picture I get is us down here on earth, fumbling around, trying to serve God, trying to please Him, and, and we mess up and we get up, and, and yet God is there. And He sees us as His child. And He just bursts forth into song because He loves us. He joys over us with singing. And I trust that this reality causes you to say, God, I never want anything to come between me and you. How could I trample under God, underfoot the Son of God by allowing sin to reign in my body? How could I not forgive my brother when I've been forgiven so much? How could I rebel against my church when it's an extension of God here on this earth? How could I continue to lust and to cling to the gods of this world when the God of the universe has redeemed me? How could I do that? And I trust that that reality just causes you to walk in the light more and more fully. To trust in God more and more fully. And so the purpose of this message this evening is to assure you that you are a child of God and He loves you. I want you to turn now to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> I don't want to give anyone a false sense of hope tonight. Because no doubt, in a group this size, there are some here who have rebelled against God. You're not walking in the light. Maybe you're wearing the right clothes. Maybe your name is on the church roll. Maybe it's not. But you're living in sin. Maybe nobody knows it but yourself. But you're living in sin. And if that's you, I do not want you to go out of this building with a false sense of hope. But what I, want you, but I, what I do want you to know is that there is a Father that is waiting for you to come home. He's extending His arms to you, saying, come home. Come home. My child, come home. In Luke 15... It gives us a picture of how God feels about lost things. God doesn't like lost things. God likes to find lost things. And when He finds lost things, He rejoices. There's joy in heaven when the lost comes home. We have the parable of a lost sheep. We have the parable of the lost coin. And we have the parable of the lost son. The prodigal son. And maybe there's a prodigal son here this evening. You've wandered away from home. You're in the pig pen. I want you to see the invitation from God tonight. Luke 15. I want to read starting with verse 11. And Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And right there you have a picture of a young man who's living it up. He is fulfilling the desires of his flesh. He's got all this wealth now. His father has 
handed him this inheritance. He's, he's got this wealth. and He's going to live for himself. He's going to live this life that he knows in his heart is going to be so much fun. And he's just climbing this ladder that the world would say is, is where you want to be. He gathers all together. He, he leaves home. He goes into a far country. And he wastes his substance with riotous living. But now we get to verse 14. And we see his life begin to unravel. And suddenly, instead of going up, he's coming down. Here's what it says. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He's just going down, down, down. And now he's feeding pigs. Verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swan did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, now we have this man, thought he was living it up, but now he's in a pig pen, and he's hungry, and he has nothing, and he's filthy. And he comes to himself, and he said, how many of my hard servants I'm sorry, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. And so he conjures up this plan. He says, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say unto my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he has this plan. And he has this little line that he's going to use. I'm going to go to my father, and here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've I've sinned against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So that's his line. So he gets out of the pig pen. He doesn't clean up, but he heads home to his father. And I can just imagine as he's walking home, he's reciting his line. He's got this line. He thinks that if he says this line, maybe his father will accept him as a hired servant. And so he's walking home, reciting this line, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. And as he goes along, suddenly off in the distance, he sees someone. And suddenly he realizes this person is running. He's running towards him. And suddenly he realizes, that's dad. That's my father. And he's quickly trying to remember his line. Now, what was my line? Yeah, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And about like that, his father is on him. And, and he says, Father, I have sinned. And his father just hugs him and embraces him and says, my child. And he says, I'm no more worthy to be called your child. And he says, my child has come home. Bring a ring. Bring a robe. Kill the fatted calf. My son, my son has come home. And that's a picture of the heart of God for you tonight and if that's where you find yourself in that pig pen living a life for yourself you need to come home don't try to clean up yourself you'll never clean that filth off of you you must come home to your father get out of the pig pen and come to your father and maybe you're not a young person tonight maybe you're an older person And maybe you have done a pretty good job of cleaning yourself up. No one knows it, but you smell like a pig. You need to come home. I invite you this evening 
to come home to your Father. Your Father is waiting for you with open arms, saying, come home, my child. Come home. Come home. That's the heart of your Father. Let's pray. Father, we are not worthy to be called your sons and your daughters. But because of Jesus, because he came and he shed his blood, we can be justified in your sight. We can be cleansed of the filth of our past. And we can be your sons and your daughters. And God, we are unworthy of that. We don't deserve that but we are grateful that we are accepted into your family. We are your sons and we are your daughters. And Father, this evening, if there's anyone here who is in that pig pen, they're filthy. Maybe they don't even know they're filthy, but they know they're in the pig pen. God, help them to see that they're not going to clean themselves up. They need to come to you. They need the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus will clean that filth off of them, that you're waiting for them. You're longing for them to come home. You're waiting with open arms. You're watching for them to come. And if they come, Lord, you will come to them and you will receive them. And you will be a father unto them and they can be your sons and your daughters. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give an invitation tonight. Now, we live in a day where not many people respond to invitations. And that's okay. No one has to respond tonight. And oftentimes, preachers, they kind of dumb down invitations to try to get people to respond. You know, now it's just everybody close your hand, close your eyes and raise your hand or wiggle your ears or something, you know, if God is speaking to you. But we're talking about making a confession this weekend. From the depths of your heart, saying, I am a Christian. I'm following Jesus. And I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what people think. I'm following Jesus. And so tonight, we're just going to give an old-fashioned invitation. I want you to turn in your hymn book. The 629. We're going to sing just as I am. And if you know you're in that pig pen tonight, if God is speaking to you, I invite you to stand to your feet and come to the front of the church saying, God, I want to come home. I want to come to my Father and He will receive you. If that's you, I invite you to come as we sing this song. Just as I am. <clears throat> 